I wanted to read something out of Exodus 33. Um, I was kind of flipping through the other day, and I got this word of the day. Do some of you guys get the scripture of the day kind of things? I was reading that, and I came upon the scripture in Exodus, and it really didn't have a whole lot of, wow, you know, I'm so glad I read that one today. But then I uh, went back. When I read one scripture, I always like to go back and, and find out where did this start and really get the meaning behind it. And as I was reading it, something just spoke to my heart, and I believe it's going to speak to you. But it's in uh, Exodus 33. And let me just give you a quick little thing. Moses is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and going into the promised land. And uh, one thing that I noticed in this is in 33.7, it says, It was Moses' practice to go to the tent of meeting. And I didn't see that until I went further up and I saw, hmm, that, that's kind of setting some ground there. And then we're going to start in 14, if I can find that in here. Man, maybe I should have brought some glasses. Or Moses, uh, we'll go to 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me who you're going to send with me. That's what really stuck to me. You call me by name and you tell me that I've found favor with you. So please, if this is really so, show me your intentions so that I'll understand more fully and do exactly what you want me to do. Besides, don't forget that this nation is your very own people. And then it goes on to say in 14, and the Lord replied. Now remember, Moses is making a habit of going before the, the tent of meeting, they called it, which was kind of, it was different than the tabernacle, but that's where he meets with the Lord. And it was his habit to do so. And when he's getting ready to do this great thing that God's called him to do, he's saying, I'm not able to do this one on my own. Who are you going to send with me? And here's God's reply. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. I will give you rest and everything will be fine with you. That really gave me a bit of encouragement that whatever we're going through, wherever we are in our journey, if we're going through like the, the one of the songs that the that we were singing to the Lord earlier and God was kind of responding in that song, I felt that said, you know what? It's like, come to me, give me your cares, give me your burdens. And you know what I'm going to give you in return? Rest. And everything is going to be okay for you. And when I read this, it really spoke to my heart. And I was hoping it would speak to yours that wherever you are, God is the one going with you. You've got friends, hopefully, and you've got good family members, hopefully. But God himself, he said, I'm personally going with you on this journey all the way. And the very end of that was, and it's going to go well with you. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to get through this. If you're going through good times, God's there. If you're going through a difficult time, know that you're going through it. And God personally is with you. And I'm here to tell you because the word said it, so I can promise it to you. You're going to be fine. That's great. Thank you, Trish. We got your Bibles this morning? All right, let's lift them up, do our declaration. This is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's word. It's his truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dennis, would you do me a favor? Are you up there? Oh, there he is. Would you pray this morning for our service? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dennis. All right. Well, I've got to tell you a joke because I just like to. (laughs) All right. There's this little boy named Sam. This is back in the 1820s, and it's July 4th, and this little boy Sam is out in the backyard playing, and in the back of their house, they lived out in the country, they had an outhouse. How many of you have ever seen an outhouse? All right. How many of you have ever been in an outhouse? Come on. What a blessing that is, right? I always wondered why my granddad had Sears catalogs, and I now, you know, anyway, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, the little boy's out in the backyard, and there's an outhouse, and he's running around, and he's playing. It's the Revolutionary War, and he's acting like he's a soldier, and he runs into the outhouse and knocks it over, knocks over the outhouse. Terrified, he runs off into the woods because he knows he is in huge trouble. So he stays out in the woods to just about dark, and then he makes his way home, and sure enough, there in the backyard is his dad. And his dad says, Sam, come here, son. Sam, I need you to tell me, did you knock the outhouse over? Of course, little Sam goes, no, sir, I did not knock the outhouse over. That was not me. Sam's Sam's dad says, well, Sam, I need to tell you a story. You know who George Washington is? Yes, sir, first president, general of the army. Yes, sir, I know who he is. Well, I need to tell you a story about George Washington, Sammy. When, When George was just a little lad about your age, He was out one day, and he received a brand new axe, and he took this axe. He was so excited to have this axe, he went out and chopped down a tree, but he realized after he chopped down the tree that it was his mother's favorite cherry tree, and and George Washington's daddy went up to him and asked him the same kind of question I'm asking you, did you do it? And George Washington looked up at his dad and said, Dad, I cannot tell a lie. It was me. I did it. And his dad did not punish him. Well, Sam's all excited. So his dad looks at him and says, so Sam, I'm going to ask you one more time. Did you knock over the outhouse? Yes, daddy, I did. And promptly his dad lays him over his knee and begins to wear him out. And little Sam, with tears in his eyes, looks up at dad and says, dad, why are you spanking me? I thought if I told the truth, I wouldn't be getting a spanking. He said, George Washington's daddy didn't spank him. And Sam's daddy said, yeah, but George Washington's daddy wasn't in the outhouse when it got knocked over. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) You know, we talk about it a lot, and and it's a saying on shows and everywhere else, and in the United States, we understand that freedom is not free. How many veterans do we have here today? Let's thank our veterans for, for serving. You know, we're, we're so thankful and, and we understand the, the price that was paid for our country for us to be free. But I want to talk to you today a little bit. This is the last Sunday that I'm going to do our series, Man of Steel. And, and I really feel like some of the people we're going to talk about today, especially in light of who we are as a country, these people are really superheroes. 
Remember last week I talked about a superhero as someone that does ordinary things extraordinarily. And our founding fathers, our country was built on the principles of Christianity from the get-go. And one of the reasons that, that we face so many challenges right now is, is there are those in our government and around the country, just normal citizens, that are trying to separate the foundation of the country, the fabric of our country, with their own personal desires, aren't they? And I'm not going to get up here and talk politics. I don't think that's appropriate. But I am going to tell you, we know that's going on. It's obvious. And, you know, one of the things that you'll notice in the Bible, it says that God hates divorce. And I've learned as a pastor that notice that God, it doesn't say that God hates people that get divorced. It says that God hates divorce. And you know why? Because when, when people get divorced, what happens? It's like gluing two pieces of paper together and tearing them apart. What happens is they don't come out whole, do they? No, they're torn on each side and, and it's messy and it's hard and it's difficult. And, and, and God says, I hate it because of what it does to people. Well, it's the same way in a country. Whenever our country, for instance, when you try to divorce the founding principles that our country was founded on with what, what people want, it's like that rending, and it's very difficult, and it's messy, and that's what we're experiencing in our country. And I want you to know as Christians, we need to stand up for what is true and what is right in our country. Amen? And, and what I want to educate you on today are some things that I learned that I didn't even know, and I'm pretty smart. And, and so when I start to see these things, some of y'all will laugh later. But, but I went in and began to understand some of, the, some of these patriots, some of the original signers of the Declaration of Independence, some of their stories are amazing. And, and I want to just share some of those things with you today. But first, let's, let's have a little trivia fun. I always like to do that on occasion. And let's talk about, you know, if you think you know the answer, just throw your hand up and I'll call on you. How many original signers of the Declaration of Independence were there? Do you know? Anybody have an idea? If you do, throw your hand up. Upstairs, Anthony. 56. There you go, Becky. 56. That's correct, Anthony. You get a golden star. <laughs> but 56 signers. Good job. All right. Who has the most famous and the largest signature on the Declaration of Independence? Anybody? Yes, sir. John Hancock. That's correct. He wrote it big. And it was awesome why he did that because he wanted people to know who he was. He wasn't scared to do that. He wrote his. He was also the president of the Continental Congress. The youngest signer uh, of the Constitution was uh, named Edward Rutledge. How old was he? Anybody know? 26. You guys are geniuses. <laughs> Becky, do not help them anymore, okay? She's being too nice to you guys. I didn't even raise your hands or anything. Man. <laughs> All right. All right. Benjamin Franklin was how old when he signed the Declaration? Anybody, any guesses? 70 years old. He was 70 years old. All right, two future presidents signed the Declaration of Independence. Does anybody know who they are? Anybody want to guess? Anybody want to guess? I can see people. The students are going, I'm out of school. I don't have to think anymore. That's not till September. No. Any, anybody want to guess? Yes, sir. Adams and Jefferson to the Texan on the back row. Good job back there, bud. Good job. At the time of the signing of the Declaration, the colony, colonies had an estimated population of how many people? How many people lived in the 13 colonies before, during the signing of the Declaration? Any guesses? Any guesses? 2.5 million people. The entire United States at this time had 2.5 million people in all those 13 colonies. I thought that was amazing. We've got a lot more than that now, don't we? 
So let me give you some quotes, though, today from the Founding Fathers. These are some of the things that the Founding Fathers said during this period of time. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by who? Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry. Do not let anyone claim tribute of American patriotism if they even attempt to remove religion from politics. Who said that? George Washington. You see what he said there? He said, he said don't even claim to be a patriot if you're going to try to remove Christianity from this country. Wow. George Washington. The First Amendment has created a wall of separation between church and state, but that wall is one directional. It keeps the government from running the church, but it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in the government. Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So from the get-go, from the very foundation, our country was founded on Christian principles, and that's the way it is. And so to try to separate that destroys the fabric of who we are as a nation and we need to understand that and i want to encourage you today again vote when time comes to vote vote your principles vote your morality vote the way god wants you to but vote you know you don't have any ability to gripe if you're not going to do anything about it okay so for too long many of us grew up where oh there's a separation of church and state i think you understand clearly now the separation was to keep them out of our business not us out of theirs and God wants us to move and be involved in politics, etc. All right, let's talk about the patriots a little bit. If you look at your notes today, these people are true superheroes. Christians, most of them, many of them Christians, but true superheroes. The first thing that I want you to notice is that they made a bold declaration. They made a bold declaration. I sat down this week and actually went through and started reading again the Declaration of Independence. If you have not done that, I want to encourage you to read it. It is an amazing document. It's not very long, but it's awesome. And I was going to read it today, but I thought it'd take too long. But I mean, it is so well written, and, and it's so awesome. They talk about God all through the document and how he's given us these unalienable rights, unalienable rights. It's amazing. So I want to encourage you this week. That's your homework. Read the Declaration of Independence this week. For more than 14 months after the Battle of Lexington and Concord in 1775, the Patriots fought not for their independence, but rather that they fought for their rights within the British Empire. Rights that had been gradually taken away before and even after the Boston Tea Party. Hundreds of Americans had given their lives, 400 alone, at the Battle of Bunker Hill. It was during this time of conflict that Patrick Henry, the fiery politician from Virginia, gave his famous speech before the Virginia Provincial Convention. And here's how it concluded. I want to read this to you. Three million people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. Listen to this next statement. There is a God 
who presides over the destiny of nations. He will raise up friends to fight our battle for us. Battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, and the brave. Besides, sir, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat, but in submission and slavery, our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable, and I say, let it come. I repeat, sir, let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. Our brethren already are in the field. Why stand there, we hear idle? Listen to this statement. What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Wow. I get chill bumps just reading that. Here's a godly man standing up in front of the president of the, con- uh, uh, president of the Congress at this time, standing up and giving this speech to many of his fellows. I love that. That's the foundation, the fabric of who we are. And I want you to understand something here. These gentlemen made a bold declaration because, understand this, by signing the document, by signing the Declaration of Independence, they were basically signing their death warrant. See, understand, at this time in our history, we had no standing army. We had no real navy. There wasn't this big military for them to hide behind. They actually were making this statement as just rebels. They were stepping out in faith. That's amazing to me. I want you to understand also, letter B, your second point there, they paid a great price. These heroes paid a great price. After the Americans declared their independence, they had to win it by force. This task was especially difficult, partly because the people never fully united behind them. This was interesting. I did not know this. At this time, there are two and a half million people living in the, in the colonies, okay? Of those two and a half million, a third of those people did not care that there was a war going on. They were off in the middle of nowhere. They didn't care. They were separated from everywhere else, and, they, and that never changed throughout the war. So immediately, a third of them are irrelevant. There was another third of the country that was here that was strongly aligned behind the British. These people were called Tories. They were Americans, but they were British. They, they were, uh, what do you call the word? Come on, somebody. What? They were colonials. They, they were in support of the British. So they were actively opposing the rebels. So that only left a third of the people to fight this battle of this two and a half million. So it wasn't like this big united front. There was only a third of them that were actively engaged in this. So when they made this bold declaration, the whole country wasn't even support. And these guys paid a great price. So what happened to the 56 people? What happened to these 56 men that signed the document? We're not going to cover all of them, but I'm going to cover a few of them, and I think you're going to be amazed at some of this. Of the 56 men, five of them were captured by the British. They were tortured before they died, five of them. Twelve of them had their homes ransacked and burned, and two of them lost sons in the Revolutionary Army. 
Another two had sons that were captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds of hardship of the war. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ships sunk by the British Navy. He sold his home and his properties to pay his debts, and he died in poverty. At the Battle of Yorktown, the British General Cornwallis had taken over Thomas Nelson's home for his headquarters. Nelson quietly ordered George Washington to open fire on his own home. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died bankrupt. What you imagine? There's your home, maybe the thing you'd worked for your whole life, your plantation, your house, whatever. And the occupying general is in your house, and you go to the George Washington and you say, open fire. That's putting it all on the line, isn't it? It's what he did. Listen to this last one. John Hart, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, was driven from his wife's bedside as she lay dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields were destroyed. For over a year, he lived in forests and caves, returning home only to find his wife had died and his children had vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion. It's one thing to make a bold declaration in the comfort of a congressional meeting, but it's quite another to pay the price. To fulfill that declaration on the field of battle, to pay with blood, Yours, your families, and your neighbors. Our founding fathers made a bold declaration. They paid a high price. Our founding fathers paid a price for freedom and the right to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it was grounded in the fact that God has created all of us equal and we deserve to be free. So when we celebrate the 4th of July, when we celebrate Memorial Day, we need to intrinsically understand that God has set up this country, and there are people, these guys that signed this declaration weren't in a cushy office somewhere. They were chased, hunted, killed, properties destroyed, families destroyed. Can you imagine, guys, being at your wife's bedside as she dies and you have to flee? That's what these guys did. They laid it all on the line for freedom. And we need to understand that God has done something similar. See, I think one of the reasons that we're a nation under God is that we get the fact that freedom costs something. You know, when we, I mean, when I think of the price that Jesus paid so that we, be, that we could be free, I get that. Because I understand that our country is free because of the sacrifice of others. And I realize that as a Christian today, I am free because somebody else sacrificed for me. And God loved us so much that he allowed Jesus to die on a cross, a brutal death, for our freedom. Just as our country had to suffer to be free. And the fates of the United States are bound in that death. And we need to understand that today. I also want you to understand this today. Even though many of them paid the ultimate price, they all reaped a great reward. And we reap part of that reward as well. You know, many of the signers that made the declaration 
paid a great price, but others of them reaped a great reward. Two of the signers became presidents. We talked about that. Ten of the signers of the declaration became U.S. congressmen. Nineteen of them became judges. Sixteen of them became governors. And dozens of others held office that was a high political office, not to mention the enduring place that they hold in history. I want you to understand something today, too. As Americans, that's our heritage. Let me tell you a little bit about your heritage as a Christian. Just as they were all put their lives on the line and they signed the document and said, this is the declaration that I am making, as a Christian, you're doing the same thing. And I want you to understand something, that I am an American. I am an American, but I am a Christian before I'm an American. I'm a Christian. And I'm thankful to live in a country that loves God and, and still worships him. We still are a country under him, aren't we? Amen. I'm thankful for that. But as a Christian, we have to make a bold declaration also. So if you're here today and you are a Christian, you have done that. You know, when you, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are actually signing the dotted line with him. You are saying, you know what, I'm going to align myself with what Jesus says. I'm going to align myself with what the Bible says. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. Let me explain to you what that means. You know, when I... When I was in college, I joined the military. I was in the National Guard and in ROTC. And, and I went in and, and we signed a document. Guys, how many of you read that document when you signed it? Y'all, y'all remember that? Do you remember the part that said up to and including my life? There's a part in there that when you sign up in the military, it says I'm willing to follow the orders of those over me and all these different things up to and including my life. That made an impression. This is not the Cub Scouts. (laughs) You know, this is is taking it to a whole different level. And I want you to understand, this is what Paul is saying here to the church in Galatia. It's the same thing. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. When I become a Christian, what that means is I'm saying, Lord, whatever you need to do in my life, it's no longer I who live, it's you who live in me. That's our reasonable service as Christians. You know, maybe you don't understand that. Maybe you didn't understand when you receive Jesus, it's not like you get this little rubber stamp and you go on about your way. A Christian is someone who aligns himself with the Lord and says, Lord, I'm submitting my life and my authority to you. It's no longer I who live, it's you who live in me. I'm going to do things your way. Do you understand that? That's what it means to be a Christian. It's a very bold declaration when you say that. If you're here today and a Christian, you've made that declaration. Joshua 24, 14 through 15 says this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods of your forefathers beyond the river, the gods of the Amorite in whose land you are now living. And then Joshua says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I love it. When I read this, I know that Patrick Henry must have inspired because he said basically the same thing. Give me liberty or give me death, but this is what I'm doing. And Joshua is basically saying the same thing here. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can do what you want to do. Is what he's saying. You can worship the gods of Egypt. You can worship the gods that live here. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What does it mean to serve? What does it mean to serve? Come on, submit, somebody said. That's right. Surrender ourselves to the will of the one that we serve. And that's what it means when we become a Christian is we submit our will to God's. Amen? Like the patriots, we must also pay a high price. It costs something to be a Christian, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, when you're a Christian, you can't go out and do some of the things that your friends do, can you? Because they're doing crazy stuff and you know you're not supposed to. Somebody say, amen. <laughs> but that, you know, as a Christian, we, we have a different standard we live by, don't we? We do. And I want you to understand this. Listen to me. It is one thing to make a bold declaration in here in the church, just like Congress did when they were all together. It's another thing to walk out there and live it. And that's difficult. I know this is difficult. You know, it's awesome when we come together as a church and we feel energized and, and we worship like that and, and we pray and you can feel the presence of God moving your heart and you're excited. And then you walk out the door and bam, the world's right there. Right? And it's tough out there, isn't it? It's tough out there. Not everybody's nice out there, are they? Sometimes not everybody's nice in here, but that's a different sermon for a different day. But, but the reality is, the reality is it's hard out there. It's hard to walk this thing out. But as we go and we serve God and, and we make this declaration, we have to remember that we're serving him and he will be, give us strength. What Trisha said today is that, right, you know, Moses said, God, I don't want to go unless you're with me. And the Lord said, I will personally go with you. And Jesus said, it's good that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will be with you and he will never leave you. I'm making some of y'all nervous because I'm so close. I'll back up. It's all right. I'm not going to fall off. But Jesus said, it's good that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He will be with you always. And Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So even when you're out there and things are tough, God will be right there with you in the midst of your trials. And I want you to understand this today. In life, if you look back on your life, if you've been a Christian more than 10 minutes, if you look back on your life, you will realize the times that you felt him the closest were the times that were the hardest. And he was right there with you. And he sends the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and to be our friend. And the Greek word is a paraclete. And that means one who comes alongside and carries the burden. That's what he's promised us. So you're not alone when you walk out of there. Joshua 24, 16 through 18 says this. Joshua said, as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. 24, 16 through 18 says this. Then the people answered, far be it to us. To forsake the Lord and serve other gods. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. That's what Jesus said. Luke 9, 23 through 26. 
if anyone would come after me, who's anyone? Who's anyone? Anyone. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross one time. Is that right? What does it mean? Daily. And take up his cross daily and follow me. And listen to this. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Becoming a Christian, receiving Jesus as your Savior, is one of the easiest things on the planet that you can do. The Bible says that you believe and you confess that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead and you receive him as your Savior and you are saved. Isn't that awesome? But making him your Lord is very difficult. Because that means you serve him. And Jesus says here, he says it, he said you have to take up your cross daily. What does that mean to you when I say that? What does that mean to you? What does that sound like? I'm asking. (laughs) What's that sound like? Ma'am, put him first. What else? What? Commitment? Serve, consistency, that's good. All those things are right. Sacrifice, very good. Take up your cross daily. What that tells me is when I get up in the morning, I have to decide that day I'm gonna do things God's way. Every day. It's not a one-time deal. Jesus says daily, you have to deny yourself daily. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, Right? Come on now, I'm just getting real. (laughs) When the Cardinals get beat by the Rangers, come on, and you want to throw something at the TV, Ah, there you go. (laughs) When, When things don't go your way, when real life, remember when you walk out there and real life happens, that's when you deny yourself and you allow the love and the compassion of God to flow through you to other people. Does that make sense? That's what we have to choose to do daily. It's an all-the-time thing. It's an all-the-time thing. So let me finish up here. What makes us, excuse me, what keeps us from making that declaration and living by it? What keeps us from, from walking every day? What, what is it that keeps us from doing that? Come on, anybody have a guess? Self. Self. Let me tell you something. There is no one on this planet that can keep you from fulfilling God's plan for your life except you. You. God made you with free will. Monica, he's given you free will to make that decision every day. Jesus says, you take up the cross. He didn't say, I'm going to do that for you. He says, Monica, you have to do that. I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying. You're right there. (laughs) Heidi? Heidi? Nobody's going to sit on the front anymore, I'm sorry. But, but it's true. He, he's given you the ability to have free will and make that decision and make that choice. 
but you have to choose. And what keeps us from doing that is ourself. He's removed every barrier, guys. He's removed every barrier. We celebrate communion today, and that's Jesus tearing the the separation between us and him. He tore the veil. We sang that song today. He tore the veil. There's this veil in the temple that was torn from top to bottom. And that was represented the separation between us and God. All the excuses. Jesus removed all the excuses. But you have to choose. And that's why he tells us this. You have to choose to die daily and do things his way daily. And it's hard. It's hard. But there's something amazing that happens when we do that. When we die to ourselves and we begin to allow God to work in in and through our hearts, he will move in us. And like I said, he has promised the Holy Spirit to live in us and he will empower us to be the kind of people that he's called us to be. But we have to choose to allow him to do that. You know, I hear a lot, and I know people struggle with it. And you probably heard somebody say this. Well, you know, I tried the church thing. And it didn't work. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I tried the Jesus thing like it's putting on a pair of clothes or something. Maybe, maybe you feel that way. You tried the church thing and it didn't work for you. I want you to understand something, folks. This is a lifetime commitment. And God will fulfill his promises and he will do what he promised he will do. But you have to stick it out and give him time to work through the things in your life. Do you understand me? This is not a one-time deal. This is a lifetime commitment. Do you realize that the folks that signed the Declaration of Independence, some of them never got to see the fulfillment of what they started? Do you realize that? I mean, some of these gentlemen died not knowing if we won. But they were committed to see it through regardless of what the outcome was. And in your own life, you have to have that kind of commitment. It's that Benaya lion chaser commitment says, no matter what, I'm going after it. No matter what happens, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to trust God no matter what I see or what I feel or what I think. I'm going to trust God no matter what. And then he will fulfill his word. And he will do what he said. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you that you've allowed us to, Lord, to, to live in this amazing country that we call America. Father, we thank you for our godly heritage. Lord, thank you for that, that we could have been born anywhere. But you chose to have us be citizens of this great country. And this country's not perfect, Lord, any more than we're perfect. But, Father, we still are one nation under God. And as a church today, Lord, we declare that. And we thank you, Father, for the godly forefathers that went before us, the men and women that have sacrificed so much so that we could be free. And, Lord, we honor their memory. But just as they've said, we cannot separate our country from you because we were founded on you. So, Father, today, as American citizens and Christians, Lord, we thank you for giving us a godly country, and we choose today to live that godly heritage. And we commit to be involved. But, Father, more importantly, 
Lord, more importantly, we come to you today as people that need hope. Father, I know every week there are people that come here that maybe are on their last leg. They've come to church today because they need a touch. Father, they need to know that you're real. And as we celebrate it in communion today, Father, that you paid such a price for us because you love us so much. Your word says that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. And Lord, I thank you for that. And I pray, Father, today in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. And if there's someone here today, Lord, that that does not know you, that's not made that commitment to receive you as their Savior, Lord, that today would be the day they would do that. If you're here today, nobody's looking around. This is personal. This is between you and God. If you're here today and you want to receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, And make that commitment and sign up and say, Lord, I'm going to make that declaration today. Just slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, that's me. I want to do that today. Today is your day. Or maybe you're here today as a Christian and you've walked away from the Lord. You've been doing your own thing and it's not working out for you. And I want you to know something. There's not a person in this room who at one point or another doesn't fall into that category. You've been doing your own thing and it's not working. But today you wanna wanna sign up again. You wanna rededicate yourself to the Lord. You wanna get God involved back in your business and your life. You wanna repent of the way you've been doing and you you wanna start fresh. Well, I wanna tell you something. That That's awesome. And today is the day for that too. So if that's you, and today you want to rededicate your heart to the Lord, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me, Pastor. Amen. I see that hand. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're here today, and you're facing some challenges, maybe there's some things going on in your life, and you just need some people to agree with you. Maybe you're having struggles, your family, finances, and your health, whatever the challenge is. It could be hundreds of things. Whatever it is, but you just want somebody to agree with you in prayer, I'm going to open these altars up in a second. And if there's any of these things that I've mentioned, you come forward and we're going to pray with you for a few minutes. It's the most important thing we do every week. The altars are open.
Because Jesus, you're all I need. Oh, you hold my every moment, and you call my raging sea. Lord, you are.
Let's all stand this morning. You know, I want you to know that we live in a real world, don't we? With real problems and real challenges. Have to wake up every day and face it, right? But I want you to know this more, that we have a real God. And he is able to touch us and heal us and move in our lives and and give us wisdom when we need wisdom. And he, he can move.